Um, it's myself again, Keith. We got Matt and Chris, and we got Tommy from IFA. So say hello, guys. Yo. How are we doing? Yeah, all good. So, uh, well, this is our fifth one. We've got Chris in with mm. Tommy today to talk just a little bit about football, um, youth development, um, and sort of performance training, and trying to get get young kids into football, into being active, and then at uh, at best into a professional sport somewhere in the world. Um, so, Tom, if you want to just start a little bit about what it is you've got run with IFA and Adastra. Yeah, so IFA Sport, um, been in the UAE now for, this is going to be our 12th year, um, so well established in, in the region, um, and really IFA is a, is a junior football academy. Um, in the last couple of years we've, we've integrated a few new programmes, but um, we're really proud to be able to offer pathways of kids really getting into the game from as young as 18 months um, with our Dribblers programme, um, all the way through to 18 years and beyond, um, going through our Dasher programme into our, our senior football. So. Um, we're currently working with probably about 1,000 to 1,200 players a week of all age groups, um, coming from our dribblers programme from 18 months to 4 years old all the way through to the academy um, at 12 years old, and then offering pathways now into the Adastra um, programmes, boys and girls. Um, we're really, it's really great that this year we've, we've launched our girls academy programme, yeah. um, so getting the girls involved as well. So what the dribblers is the very young kids just getting them running around, getting them touching the ball. Exactly. Dribblers is our preschool program um, and it's based on parent and child participation. So the parents are in the sessions with the kids. Oh yeah. Really just looking to develop um, very basic fundamental movement skills um, but in a football play environment. So there's lots of touches on balls um, but really just giving them the skills that when they graduate from our dribblers into our academy program they've got that sort of fundamental uh, movement tool set that they can improve their performance. And that's then all the way to the 12-year-old with the academies? Yeah, so our academy runs up to actually 14 years old, um, but a lot of our players in the academy sort of uh, from ages 4 to probably 10 and 11. Um, and alongside that, we also identify some of those stronger players to invite into our premier programme, um, which we have more contact time, um, and that would be what we'd probably describe as our advanced programme. Yeah, that's later teens. And this is all after school stuff, is it? Or is it weekend or once a week, twice a week? How does it form? Um, well, we encourage um, as much contact time as possible. Um, so we encourage all our players to come and train at least twice a week. Uh, we do have our own games programmes now. Um, so all of our players that enter our academy, we have a Stars League, which is our internal games programme, which takes place on a Saturday afternoon. Um, and also with our Premier programme, we come in twice a week. We have a structured league. Um, yeah. program with those guys as well so you, your guys play themselves or do they play with their academies other teams club teams yeah our premier program uh, we play most of the other academies based here in, in the UAE um, all the way through really to our Adastra program who compete in the amateur men's league right um, which is a very good standard um, and those games sort of uh, are weekly matches against some strong opposition so. and where, the, where do the bulk of your players come from like do, do you notice uh like a predisposition of Europeans or South Americans or? Um, honestly, no, I think we're very proud um, the fact that we've, we've got such a diverse uh, population of players that we do get a lot of Western expats, but as well, we also get a lot of Arab expats, mm -hmm. um, Indian players. So really, um, you know, I try to think how many different sort of nationalities we've currently got playing with us, but it's, we don't really have a, a key sort of audience of, of nationality. It's really, um, anyone that wants to come out and play. 
And what's like the end goal then? So, I mean, in terms of, let's say you had somebody start off from the dribblers program, they went all the way up to the uh, Adastra um, programs. Do you then have links to like sports teams in the UK or in Europe or like, where, where can they sort of take it? Yeah, no, definitely. Basically, the whole, the whole focus of our program is really creating pathways, um, pathways for development and then pathways using football as a tool really to, to carry on either a career or just really just create that passion for life and play. So the focus for the Adastra program, we do have some excellent links with some professional clubs over in Europe. Um, but really, I think the, the nature of society here in Dubai and the players that are coming in Academics and education is such a strong focus for our players that really um, a lot of our players now choose to use football as a tool as entry into US colleges um, and scholarship routes. Yeah, you get that quite a bit out here. Like we train some basketball players and I think some of your guys, Chris, with the gems, a lot of the pathways tend to lead to the US scholarships. Like that does seem to be almost kind of a way a way out like for these kids. They've been sort of living with their parents the whole time. They just want to uh, kind of get free and just sort of you know. Exactly, exactly. And I think really key for us is, is giving them sort of the, that development opportunity that I think has been missing sort of in the UAE for quite a while that you get to 14 years old and what do I do next? There's not mm-hmm. really the quality of programme that can sort of keep developing me. Um, but as we found as well, what we're trying to do is, is simplify the minefield, which is US college applications, is when do I need to be doing certain tests and who do I need to yeah. be speaking to at key sort of sort of landmarks in, in that application process. So it was great to see. We probably had um, as many as 12 of our players last season uh, now moving on to college education uh, and using football as a route into that college education, which is fantastic. Yeah. And what are like the qualities that they need? Because I know um, from a couple of my clients, when they've been over to the States, it's, it's almost like a shock to the system because obviously the US systems are so robust and particularly in their high school systems like so much emphasis is put on um, the physical aspect just obviously with American football they're kind of encouraged to lift weights and do physical training from a young age like have you sort of noticed like uh, I, I guess like a raising in the standard like kids coming back or reporting back that okay we need more of this or have you sort of developed that long and found some key sort of qualities that they need I, th- I think in terms of Maybe it's not a key quality, but I think the shock to the system that most of our players do experience when they go to the States is the physical nature of the game. Yeah. And there's so much emphasis placed on strength, conditioning and the fitness element of the game. Um, and all due respect to them, I think a lot of our players technically very, very good, um, but still they've been struggling. We've had players enter into Division One universities, um, so technically very, very good, strong players, but there's still a struggle there for their sort of first term or so to try and almost catch up or reach their level of fitness and uh, conditioning yeah. that a lot of these American guys are really just used to. I think it's just really sort of, when it comes to American sports, it's strength and conditioning first and then yeah. technical element second. So, And is it a strength thing, like they're getting pushed off the ball or they're not getting enough ball contact or is it like they're behind the boys in the fitness tests and they're, they're lagging down the back? I think it's, it's, it's more, not really sort of the aerobic condition, it's, it's probably really just the, the grounding of strength and conditioning is they go in and they find that obviously they're competing with what they, they describe as athletes, is mm. just big strong boys um, and I think that's where a lot of recruitment in the States potentially does come from. Um, yeah. You know, the Adastra program really is, is based on sort of the technical and tactical development of our players with strength and conditioning integrated but um, I know from 
relationships I've worked with guys in US colleges um, and coaches over there, it's, it seems to be taken much more seriously from a much earlier age. Um, so when they're reaching 16, 17, 18, as our boys have, have discovered that, you know, they're playing with and against uh, a few beasts, yeah. that is uh, is a struggle for them. They've just got a big pool to choose from, don't they? Yeah, the gene pool's crazy over there. But uh, they're just that American football sort of attitude as well. Like, you've got to be big, you've got to be strong. Um, how do the, the Gems kids sort of find it, the ones who went over? Well, I mean, we I've worked with Tommy over the last couple of years, and a few of the kids we've worked together have gone across to the US. I think someone... Some have done well, some struggled a little bit. Like, it's the same with the guys that go to the UK as well. I don't know, do you think there's too much emphasis on the sport themselves over here? Is it a little bit of overkill and then not enough on the strength and conditioning? Or what do you think on that front? I th- to be honest, I think it's just a case of finding a balance. Um, full stop, I don't think there's enough emphasis or contact time for athletes and players to reach levels that I think uh, we're finding overseas. Um, Education is such a big part of our, our players' lives over here that you know we, we, we have contact time with our players maybe three to five hours a week maximum, and that's including training and game time. Um, and I know just traditionally coming coming from the UK, growing up, we'd be playing maybe four, five, six times a week. Um, there's a lack of opportunity, and there's probably um, just a lack of availability um, to the guys over here. And I know obviously the work that you've been doing at the Gem Sports Academy is trying to combat that. Is finding time in their day that they can actually get access to good quality training um, so yeah I think it's really I wouldn't say there's need to be more emphasis on strength and condition I think they just need more emphasis on good quality delivery of programs and you know any good program um, of any sport I think is going to have an element of strength and conditioning um, sort of with a thread through it so it's hard for the guys here though and the girls like they can't just take a ball out onto the street and go kick mm-hmm. it they can't just go down the road, call in on three or four friends, put two jumpers down and start playing on the grass because there is no grass and the roads aren't, don't allow you to play. The drivers drive too fast. And then for half the year, you, they can't play in the heat. And it's not like the winter because you can still go out in the UK and in I'm sure in the US, as long as there's no snow on the pitch, you can still go out and kick a ball in the park, put your jumper on, get rained on, but you're still out there. Like It's, it's tough for the kids here. Do, they, do, they only, do you find that they, they train themselves, they play themselves? Like, will you hear stories of them being on the road or down in Safa Park with the lads playing football or do they only get to play when they show up at 5pm or 6pm? I think, I think probably the majority of our players fall into that bracket is if they're with us for an hour a week, I think we can almost guarantee that's the only hour that week they're going to be playing football. Yeah. Um, I think there are pockets of players, you know, they're the guys that run into our sessions holding a football, they're the ones that leave holding a football and they're the ones that are in the walls kicking footballs. Um, but I, I do agree, it's, it's almost, it's, 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 it's a continuous battle for them just to get access to yeah. spaces to play. Um, and when they're in a space to play, other friends to play with. Yeah. It's, 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 it's that sort of culture and society that I need to get in a car to drive somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's tough for them. So I think there are guys that sort of get through it and there are communities where they've got community spaces to play, but I think that is one of our sort of key challenges is the contact time we have with the players is probably the only contact time with that sport that those players are probably going to have. That's a massive shame, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't give enough time. It doesn't have to compete with the kids in the UK and in Europe and in the US. I know when we were with the Gems, uh, the sports academy, a lot of the lads, they go over to the IMG academy to kind of get a feel for the States and kind of see if, if the elite level is for them and if, if the lifestyle is for them. 
do you lads run anything like that? I know you guys helped them through the pathways to get into the colleges, but do you run anything? Yeah, um, most definitely, especially with the uh, yeah, Dastra program. We um, we run annual international tours, which we, we kind of just set up um, on our own, really, just with um, our key contacts back in the UK. So, um, for an example, we've been back in, uh, in summers and we've played clubs like West Ham, we've played Fulham, um, we've been back and played Southampton, Gillian uh, and Leighton Orient, just really just to give them it's kind of that window into what a professional system looks like and it's also an opportunity really just to see what level these guys are playing at and we try and give them a broad spectrum from lower league clubs all the way up into Premier League clubs um, and what's always fascinating is it's always interesting for our boys to play against these teams but it's always very interesting how quickly our boys can raise their, raise their game as well but um, yeah, I, think, I think we'd all agree that sort of the development opportunities that boys in the UK have had playing these professional systems for the last six, seven, eight, maybe nine years. Um, unfortunately, we're a long way behind. And um, the guys that do go over, we, we compete well. And we've had boys in the clubs on trials at 16, 17 years old that can compete with the players in those clubs. Unfortunately, coming from coming from sort of this side of the world, they need to be much, much better than what's available over there. And, um, usually the answer is thanks for coming but um, right now there's, there's not an opportunity for you and that's with the Premier or the, the higher league professional club teams Do how, what's the success rate in the colleges in the US? Um, much much higher Yeah. purely based I think on the fact that we do have players we've had sort of four players now in the Division 1 universities um, but I think what's great about the States is there's almost someone somewhere for everyone. So what's Division One? How where is that? That's very top. That's the very top of yeah. the um, yeah. So we've had players in uh, universities such as Drake and San Jose, um, who have massive recruitment budgets and extra programs, sort of nationally recognised programs, all the way through to community colleges. Yeah. So I think from a, a US halfway, there's there's a, there's a place for everyone um, who, are, who may be keen to go over there and play and train. Um, but obviously I think what's great as well is, is taking away from sport a lot of our players are going over on academic scholarships um, yeah. a lot of our players it's education is, is, is central to their lives really and they're just using football more as a tool to supplement their education rather than the be all and end all if, you know, yeah. if I can't get in a football programme I'm not going to get in any programme so it's, it's great that education is taken so seriously over here but is it hindering their athletic development maybe I'm not sure no but it's it's interesting going back to what you're saying about them being competitive against the uh, kind of the English teams, the academies, and this kind of idea that well, the English have maybe a better, more sort of professional structure. But sometimes I wonder whether or not that's actually the case. I mean, it's only the organisations there, but I think you have a much tougher job in the sense that you have less people to work with, whereas with them, almost regardless of whether or not the program's good, they have so many people going into the academies that it's almost that survivorship bias thing that the naturally talented ones are the ones who stay and give the impression that some of these academies are kind of world class whereas a lot of the kids who perhaps need some work they just fall along the wayside you know so it's um, I mean have you worked with the academies like in the UK like what, what would your thoughts be on that like are they yeah my, my background when I was in the UK was teaching and um, coaching so I've been involved with clubs like Chillingham and Charlton Athletic and it's, it's completely you're completely right is that the pool or the, the recruitment pool is, you can't really compare it to what it's here in Dubai. Yeah. Is, you know, we've got such a small population of guys actually out there playing. Um, so I, th I think it's a help and a hindrance. I think 
from the younger guys' point of view, being in Dubai is fantastic because they don't have the pressure of professional clubs. Yeah. So they can play their football, they can enjoy their football. Um, and for my honest opinion, I think if, if you're at a level um, and you've got an opportunity to make it, I think you will make it. Yeah, for sure. Um, as you say, the, the clubs in the UK, especially sort of at the top, top level, um, it used to be you used to be the best player in your street or in your village or in your town to play for your local club. Mm. For the Premier League clubs, you potentially now have to be the best player at your age group in your position in the country. Yeah, and you reach you reach fifteen, sixteen, and all of a sudden, then you're competing against the best players in the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like you say, there's a lot of guys that potentially with a little bit more work could make it. Yeah, but with with the pool of players that they're, the size of the pool of the players that they're working with, so yeah. I think. In Dubai, especially, we've seen we've seen some really nice younger players come through um, who are now playing at um, Premier League clubs in yeah. the youth academies that I think have probably enjoyed their football um, a little more being in Dubai, um, just because they don't they don't have that pressure of, of scouts constantly contacting. Yeah, and they get the playing time right. Exactly, exactly, and uh, you know they don't have that worry about turning up on a Sunday morning in the freezing cold icy rain. Right. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things because although we sort of talk about this stuff and it's. Uh, it's almost in kind of a, a somewhat of a negative light. Let's like say, okay, there's not that many people here and we're sort of trying to find our way through. The, the huge advantage is that you can really experiment and really try and find and develop a, not so much of a best way, but certainly more efficient way of training people because you don't have that constant, let's say, competition where, okay, you're out, you're out. Okay, this kid's naturally talented. He's going to go in. So although it seems like a, a worse off position, I think the opportunity to grow and uh, kind of go beyond what some of the UK and US academies can do. I think there's a real opportunity there for that. Most definitely, most definitely. And I think what's really nice in my time sort of being in Dubai and in this region is in the last 10 years, what strides everyone has really made in in sort of the organisation and structure of youth development, purely from a football point of view. And the academies now, we'd, we'd say the market is completely saturated, but there are sort of academies that are doing things the right way and, and, and sort of developing players, um, as I would like to say, in the correct way. Yeah. Um, and these academies now are sort of are now thriving in this, um, you know, in this, this population. So um, what's really nice is the organisation and the opportunities now that are afforded to players that mm-hmm. potentially weren't here ten years ago, um, and anyone sort of living and sort of playing in Dubai really were a, a big sort of loss. Um, but now we're seeing lots of our young players who may have been born, brought up in Dubai at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, going mm. back from a football perspective and competing with the players in, in the top clubs in England. So, yeah. um, you know, very simply, we must be doing something right to allow them yeah. to, to get back there and do that. So, What, what do you think that is as such? Like, what would you say was, based on your time in the UK versus now, like, what have you sort of changed from the UK system? Like, were there things that you saw there that you didn't like that you've changed here? Um... I wouldn't say we probably changed any of it. It's probably more a lot of really replication, but like you say, it's replication of programs without the masses of numbers. So yeah. there's a little bit more attention to detail. There's a little bit more attention to the individual uh, because we don't have those hundreds of players coming through a system that are constantly coming in and out for trial. Um, take Adastra for example, which kind of last summer was the end of really our first cycle of three or four years. Um, so I had the opportunity to work with those players for three or four years, and like you say, it wasn't constantly evolving squad it was those players those core 20-25 players mm. and it was fantastic then to see you know at least a dozen of those move on and continue their football um, and I'd like to say thanks to probably the development they received in that time um, I think you can really spend a lot more time working with individuals and, 
and looking at their individual needs um, and areas for development, rather than always having pressure of a squad that needs to be winning, um, really to satisfy what is in a club system a, a first team um, sort of requirement. Yeah. And what are the sort of the the qualities? That, like a player in your academy would need to go to the UK or the US like can you tell if someone comes in straight away like okay they have it and if so like what is it that that is like what is it you look for that sort of X factor um, I think from an X factor from, from a Dubai point of view the guys that can compete at that level um, you know they stand out a mile yeah. um, really what I found is it, it kind of then comes down to desire yeah. is exactly <coughs> attitude how much do they really want to get there um, and that's kind of where the Adastra programme evolved from was there's a lot of guys who were sort of reaching 14, 15 who, who kind of got bored of what I'd call a soccer school programme it was like a one size fits all come in it's a 10 week programme today we're going to do some shooting um, very very much mixed ability sessions to really want to come in sort of getting together with the stronger players in the region um, and really sort of having an idea what's my next step where do I want to be going they couldn't access the professional club system just, just to the nature of the, uh, the structure of the system and not being local nationals mm. um, if they could train they couldn't play um, and the rules were changed so often it was they sort of become dizzy with if they could or couldn't um, and then really we found that it was just putting those players on that pathway where do you want to get to and how can we support you getting there yeah. um, I think some of the guys came in with a dream of playing professional football and we did our best to get there um, but I think when push comes to the shelf, um, the guys that did go across and they then experienced it and how, I think, how challenging that environment can be sometimes, um, those players were ones then that sort of also looked at the education pathway, which coming from a teaching background as well, I think it's, it's so important that they take their education seriously. Yeah. Um, but also an opportunity to play football at the highest level, which, you know, it's fantastic to see so many of our, what are now young men playing around the world, uh, continue education, but they've still got that passion, they want to be out playing, and every time they come back to Dubai, it's always nice that they pop in and, and come with sessions for us, so yeah, for sure. from a coaching, sort of teaching point of view, it's, it's, it's there's a lot of satisfaction there. Yeah, yeah. And what would you say, Chris, from a physical standpoint? Like the Gems ones who have sort of succeeded, what, what's the kind of the physical determinants, do you think? Um, I was, I was kind of, I was also going to touch on this point, obviously strength is a, is a massive thing and staying injury free but I wanted to ask you Tommy um, there's a thing called relative age effect where within the same age group there's actually 12 months difference between the older kid and the younger kid do you see much of that here and do you guys actually do anything to, to try and to help the younger kids who may be falling behind just because of their, their younger age it's one thing I'm trying to battle at the moment well, it's quite difficult I wanted to see if you had anything to say um, yes I think um, in a word yes is this season especially um, like I, I touched on before there's, there's, there's academies and there's programmes over here that now sort of do have an in-depth understanding of youth development and we've, we've created our own sort of I'll call it a breakaway league really with um, three other academies and the agreement we have really there is we, we play in age groups but those age groups have got some very fuzzy lines in between so if we feel we like say for example we've got an under 12 player that physically can't compete in their own age group those guys are then playing in our under 10 leagues or we might find that we've got an under 10 player who physically is very very strong um, can step up um, I think in the, from the UK point of view the relative age effect especially from the English FA is um, you know it's still a hot topic um, talking mm -hmm. about now 
bio banding players and bio band tournaments. Um, I think from a from a development point of view is is, is key. What's a bio banding? Um, so they're basically the players are banded on their physical development or their biometrics rather than their age. Right. Um, so, so we might find college, right? Yeah. Exactly. We might have nine-year-olds playing against eleven-year-olds, uh, but they'd, they'd, yeah. they'd be biopanned. Yeah, because I think just what you're to, just to, to explain to anybody who's listening the relative ages that the kids who are born, say, in 1990, in the earlier part of the year, have 10, 11 months more growth on the kids who are born in 1990 at the end of the year. I think really the relative age effect from a UK point of view is is school year. So it's really I think when you look at the stats, it's the guys that are born from September um, through to early next year. Um, statistically a lot more of those athletes um, play at high level or turn professional because they have that extra up to six months at yeah. a very very early age um, locally a lot of the professional clubs here uh, work from January to December um, in terms of their age groups whereas a lot of the stuff we do we, we, we kind of stick with the school the school year so our cutoff dates will be September um, I think it's really then coming back to what we were talking about before is actually numbers of players um, I don't think the relative age effect is so distinct here just because we don't have that, uh, that number of players that we're, we're dealing with um, but really from the league the, the academy development league that we've set up this year is, is, is really just the key focus is the player it's player centred so how can we best develop those players in our teams giving them an opportunity to have organised competition um, but competition and environments where they can develop um, and you often see the poor little lad who's maybe almost a year or two years physically behind his peers just trying to keep up when he could be really excelling and striving if you put him in players albeit maybe a year younger um, but physically uh, the same sort of development stage which um, you know it's obviously much much better for that player to develop him if he had a few of the crowd spurt down a couple of years later he'll go back to his old group will he? yeah exactly it's really just it's just putting players in environments where it's just going to optimise their development yeah um, you know it, it can be the other way it could be having you know a younger player or a smaller player placing him in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where he's playing with much bigger physically players because he'll have to change he'll have to find a new solution yeah uh, it might be that player technically is so gifted that he can take on five or six players of his own age group but put him in an age group above or two age groups above all of a sudden then he might need to find a different solution and, right. and that's really what we're just trying to achieve is really just uh, that holistic development um, so when they do reach 16, 17, 18 years looking towards sort of maturity uh, that really they've, they've got the full toolkit I, I find that it's quite funny when they do get their growth spurt they can't tell the difference between their knees and their elbows mm. like for a couple of months exactly and then all of a sudden they've just made this massive jump and then they're yeah. they're right back up there with, the, with their peers yeah. but there is a, there's a Bambi stage in between there yeah there? Your, your bones and your muscles don't quite fit the skin that it's yeah, in you know? yeah, yeah. no it's interesting and, and what are you doing with the gems from an SNC standpoint with that then I mean we call that peak height velocity so you have your initial peak when you're a kid it slows down and then coming into adolescence you tend to look for these these uh, these points where you can start to expect quicker adaptations and stuff like that. So uh, again, with the lads, I try not to load them up too much, but when I see that they're ready around that time, it's kind of know that they're it's a good enough time to start chasing adaptations. But um, and do you measure their height? Yeah, 
yeah, what, like on a, will do it, so obviously you can tell. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's well, nice facial hair, big beard yeah, comes exactly. in there too. But yeah, we do it. We'll do it about uh, three times a year. Maybe. And do you find that obviously with our uh, our girls program, we've got the Astro Girls now, so we're working with girls really from thirteen up to sixteen, seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the, the physical maturity or the maturation of girls is sometimes drastically different to boys. How how have you sort of in the sports academy been? Yeah, I mean, I always find they they develop a lot younger, um, but then they kind of once they get there, then it becomes a whole new issue of hips are now wider, knees are now coming in at the angles, angle, our ankles are worse, and you'll see it across swimmers, across runners. I read an article the other day of the top runners in use coming up through the UK are like hitting outrageous scores, and then once they reach maturation, they actually start to get worse just because the economy of running has gotten a lot worse and so many other hormonal issues going on. So women and training females, is a, is a, it's a tricky issue at the best of times. So going through the adolescence phase, it's, it's, it's tough enough. So I just try to just damage limitation <laughs> when it comes to young females and just try to get them moving properly. That's your attitude with all females, just damage limitation. <laughs> <laughs> They're a tricky one, those females. Guilty. <laughs> um, so, so talk a little bit, how do you find the parents over here? Like, how do you find the parents' approach to the kids' sports? Um, do you have crazy parents stand on the, sh- on the sideline living their careers through the kids or do you have, well, what's the kind of... What's the environment? The honest answer is I think we have the complete spectrum of parent. Um, ranging from the parent that we'll never see, um, where sort of we live in this world over here where drivers and nannies are, are so prominent in a, in a kid's life, so we'll probably see a nanny more than a parent. All the way through to the parents that really, the, the ones that we love are, are there to support their kids. Um, I like to believe uh, the parents that are bringing the kids to our programmes because I think they see a little bit of value in what we, we, we offer to the children and then their development. But also we do have the parents that um, I'll say we're trying to educate that, that do stand on the sidelines, that do need to make every decision for, the, for their player and you know they're not happy unless they're heard on the sidelines. So thankfully those, those are few and far between now um, because I think really the education we offer our parents, trying to communicate exactly what we're trying to achieve with their children, um, our players, their children. Um, and really then just having them understand exactly when it comes to game, game day especially, it's, it's about the kids. Yeah. Um, it's about the work that we were doing in the week, seeing if those kids show any understanding, um, display any understanding of the game. And at the end of the day, it's their game. Um, they're on the pitch, they're making the decisions. Um, we don't do too much talking from the sideline. Um, and we, all we really ask is the parents is to encourage and applaud yeah. and recognise you know, our players' achievements. And do you suffer from the whole uh, let's give the kids a participation medal and everybody shake hands at the end of the game or is there some real competitive um, there? I think that the message I, I, I try and convey to our parents is we are here to develop players but at the end of the day football is a game and at whatever age or whatever level a game is going to have a winner and a loser. We don't really put any emphasis too early on results, but we do understand that there will be a result. And I think it's just really just educating and, and encouraging the players to deal with those results. The will to win really has got to come from the player. You know, as human beings, we're competitive. We wouldn't play the game unless we wanted to compete. So we're not really approaching it from you know, everyone's participation, everyone gets winners' medals, because we understand not everyone can be a winner. 
Um, but I think we can redefine winner in terms of if we didn't win the game, did I learn something? Yeah. Uh, did I develop as a person? Did I develop as a player? And that's kind of the message we try and communicate to our parents. It's not all about the results. I think as we get older and if we look at what our Adastra boys are achieving now in an amateur men's league is we turn up on a Sunday and we play for three points. That's the environment now we've now entered. Yeah. Um, we're still young enough that we, we need to develop as players because this isn't going to be the last game of football we ever play. And if we want to move on, we need to keep getting better. But if we are going to move on, we're always going to be in a competitive environment where you know coaches, managers, you know their jobs depend on their teams going out and winning. So it's just really just developing that mindset from when they reach us as young as four years old to really when they, they're really competing to win at sort of 16, 17, 18 and just understanding really just the separation both parents and players between development and results mm. and at the end of the day in an ideal world if development has gone right and performance is correct then the results should look after themselves and that's the kind of way uh, IFA and that's where we kind of approach that development yeah, cool. Is there anything else you guys want to, want to run through? So where can people find you, find you, Tommy, if they want to get involved or, or get a kid to, to test out and see how they get on? Yeah, most definitely. Um, IFA, we're delivering in over 15 locations across the UAE, but the easiest way to find us is visit our website, ifasport.com, and they'll find a list of all of our location session timings, um, as well as our other programs, including the Premier, the Dribblers, and the Adastra. Um, boys and girls are welcome um, so it's great to get as many people on the field and then really it's our job just to find them the best session and uh, the best environment to, to keep them moving forward so so they just reach out to you get in touch come down to a session bring a ball kick it around that kind of thing um, yeah it's really we ask the players to register so the guys can come down for a taster session to come down and see if they like what we do um, once they're down at the session we'll find them a suitable group to be working in um, and then they're really involved in a structured programme um, so we normally work in 12 to 14 week um, terms alongside the school terms um, and in that time they are involved in a, a structured programme um, where we look at sort of key technical tactical elements uh, as well as some games play um, and yeah and then as the players progress we've, we've got those other pathways including Premier and Adastra um, where the more advanced players can move forwards um, and the guys that are still just keen to play we've got the Stars League to get them involved in organised fixtures as well. Cool so you've got was it ifasport.com and then Instagram, Facebook? Instagram, Facebook. Um, our office number is 04454 um, But yeah, we're on Facebook and uh, players can just come online and uh, register through there as well. Cool, all right. Thanks for that, Tommy. Uh, you guys got anything to say? All good? Oh, all good. All right, thank you. See you next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers.